He's hacker. I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. That was one year ago when the Baltimore Ravens came to Jacksonville. Remember that? Justin Tucker's 67-yard field goal attempt would have been an NFL record. It came up one yard short. Can we have a history lesson and history repeat itself on Sunday at Everbank Stadium when Baltimore returns to take on your Jacksonville Jaguars. With that, a very good Friday evening. Jacksonville, glad you're with us to close out the week here on Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. We're going to talk a lot about the Jaguars and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Guest lineup looks like this. In less than eh, 15 minutes, we'll go to Baltimore. My guy up in Baltimore is Luke Jones, WNST Radio. In Baltimore, we'll get the Ravens' side of this matchup as Baltimore comes in an AFC best 10-3 and on the year. Coming up at the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour, former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. In case you missed it earlier in the week, we had him uh, early. We were in for Baloo on Wednesday, played it early in that show. So in case you missed Cecil Shorts, you're not going to want to miss it again because he had a lot of things to say and a lot of things to get off his chest. So former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts with us at the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour. But as we always do, to kick it off right here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Every time the Jaguars lose a big game, they talk about things within their control, right? They did it to themselves. That's not who we are. We got to look at the tape. We got to make the corrections. We're better than this. We've heard it this year. We heard it after Kansas City, a loss at home. We heard it after Houston, a loss at home. We heard it after San Francisco, a loss at home. And we heard it after Cincinnati, a loss at home. This is a show me Sunday for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a prove it to me Sunday. This is a put your money where your mouth is Sunday. You have had high profile game after high profile game here at Everbank Stadium this season. And you've lost them all. You lost to Kansas City. You got blown out by San Francisco. You lost to a backup quarterback in Jake Browning just a week and a half ago. This is the last showcase game at home until hopefully the playoffs. Prove it to me. Show it to me. 
You say you're better than this. You say it's all self-inflicted wounds. Well, stop talking and start acting. I've said all week I'm not going to pick the Jaguars to win until they win a high-profile game at home again. I've been bit by them too many times this year. Prove me wrong. Prove the naysayers wrong. Baltimore comes in at 10-3. and three. You're 8-5. and five. You're still right in the thick of it. You're going to win your division more than likely. Odds are with a primetime national showcase game at home. You've let the fans down every single time this year leaving Everbank Stadium. You've had a game like this. This is it. If you win this game, then all of a sudden there is a different feeling in this city. If you lose this game, the narrative I've been saying is just more enforced. When a team shows you who they are, believe them. And to this point, the Jaguars have shown us they are good, but they cannot win the big games at home. They've lost them all. Again, when a team shows you who they are, believe them until they prove you wrong. And on Sunday night, I hope the Jaguars prove me wrong. I hope the Jaguars prove all of you wrong that are picking Baltimore. Do something to change the narrative. Because the narrative right now is the Jaguars are good, but they cannot win the big games. And that's factual to this point. They have not won any big games at home. You have one more opportunity to change the narrative on Sunday night when the AFC best Baltimore Ravens come in here at 10-3. and It's in your court. You have the opportunity, and I hope the Jaguars do indeed prove a lot of us wrong. We're going to do a lot on the Jaguars and the Ravens tonight. I mentioned former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. He is coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Coming up next, let's go up to Baltimore. My guy up in Baltimore, when you do this as long as I have, as I tell you, I got guys, right? I got people in every city, guys I've had on for years. My guy in Baltimore is Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore. Let's talk Lamar Jackson. Let's talk Odell Beckham Jr. Let's talk two guys that we talked about here in Jacksonville. Remember when we needed an edge pass rusher? Jadavian Clowney, Kyle Van Noy, yeah, we talked about them. Have you seen what they've done for that Ravens defense? Ravens acted. They needed a pass rusher. They went out and got two veterans, and it's paid dividends for them. The Jaguars chose not to. That probably wasn't the best decision. But let's break down the Ravens-Jaguars matchup from the Ravens' point of view. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, is next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens Sunday night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL, two of the best teams in the AFC. Baltimore, the number one seed right now in the AFC at 10-3, and three, coming in to play your 8-5 and five 
Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's go to Baltimore. Our man up there when it comes to the Ravens is Luke Jones, WNST Radio and BaltimorePositive.com. And Luke is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Luke, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Happy holidays. Hey, Luke, appreciate the time, man. Same to you as well. All right, early holiday gift for Baltimore, right? Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Miami all lose last week. Baltimore wins a thriller in overtime over the Rams. So now the Ravens, all of a sudden, a little bit of breathing room for that top spot in the AFC. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's really – I mean, we've talked about this all year, even before the season started with the expectations with the AFC, the number of great quarterbacks, but – when you consider the attrition with injuries to some of those quarterbacks and just the crazy nature of this league week to week, I mean, look how many underdogs lost this past week in the NFL. Uh, if you're the Ravens, it's just a matter of surviving. You know, it wasn't a perfect performance against the Rams this past week, but you win and then you watch everyone else drop another game. And uh, the Ravens are really, even with their difficult schedule here over the final quarter of the season, they're really sitting pretty. But uh, of course, uh, a big test playing the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday Night Football on the road. You know, Luke, it's interesting. You look at all the teams in the AFC. Obviously, Jacksonville has flaws. Miami, we saw those flaws shining through on Monday Night Football. Kansas City has flaws. Watching Baltimore, I don't think they're perfect, but I got to tell you, of all the teams in the AFC, they might have the fewest flaws right now. What's your thought in totality of the Ravens 13 games in? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a pretty accurate assessment at this point. I mean, one, they're relatively healthy, especially compared to the last couple years where, you know, knock on wood, I mean, you had Lamar Jackson injured uh, in December each of the last two years, so he's playing at a very high level. And they've had some, you know, that Mark Andrews, you know, we'll see if he comes back for the postseason. They lost J.K. Dobbins in week one. They've had some other guys in and out of the lineup, but they've stayed relatively healthy. They have... Uh, with no disrespect meant to meant to Cleveland, but what for my money is still the best defense in the NFL, even with uh, coming off of a down performance against the Rams this past Sunday. Uh, and they have an offense that you know, is still chasing consistency, specifically with the passing game. But you look at the numbers, like you said, Ryan, it's pretty good across the board. You know, the, the run defense isn't elite, but it's still good. Their passing de- offense isn't elite, but it's good and better than it's been in recent years so it's tough to look at this team and find any areas that you feel are like these major overriding concerns yeah they're not perfect but compared to the rest of the AFC and that's not to say there aren't other talented teams and I'm certainly not going to dismiss Kansas City's pedigree even with their recent struggles uh, as we move closer and closer to the month of January but it's tough not to look at the Ravens right now and feel really excited Uh, as most people are here in the city of Baltimore right now. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore with us here on 1010XL. Luke, Lamar Jackson obviously has looked very good. Uh, He and Trevor Lawrence here and and Mahomes, they've survived to this point, right? I mean, Deshaun Watson out for the year. Joe Burrow out for the year. We find out this week Justin Herbert out for the year. I mean, the injuries to the quarterbacks in the AFC – have just decimated some teams, yet Lamar Jackson, even with his style of play of running the ball many times, taking some shots certainly, like you said, has stayed healthy, which has been the key for the Ravens. 
Yeah, I mean, it, and it's really a reminder of, yeah, are there certain playing styles? Are there certain skill sets that make you more vulnerable to injury? You know, uh, from the standpoint of Lamar Jackson's playing with a bad knee like he had at the end of last year and didn't come back. You know, you understand that more than a, a pure pocket passer like a Tom Brady 10 years ago playing with a bum knee. Uh, so, but he's been healthy. Uh, you know, injury attrition is everywhere. It, it, everyone's durable until they're not anymore. I, that, that's something I like to say a, a lot when it comes to players who seemingly avoid injury. Uh, and he's just been solid to excellent just about the entire year. I mean, he's had a couple games this year where he wasn't great. He hasn't put up historic numbers like he did four years ago when he led the league in touchdown passes and I think was sixth in rushing. You know, his numbers are more modest on that front, but uh, on track to have a career high uh, completion percentage, on track to have a career high in yards per attempt. You know, he's coming off of a performance where he threw three touchdowns, including one uh, late in the game to, to put the Ravens ahead before the Rams forced overtime. Uh, it's you know, He's checking boxes, and it's a passing game that continues to grow. I, I don't think it's hit its ceiling just yet. As I mentioned, it can still be more consistent. But you, know, you have your quarterback, and certainly Jaguars fans can relate to this with Trevor Lawrence uh, coming back after the really scary ankle injury, even in defeat this past Sunday, where you have a chance if your quarterback's upright <laughs> this time of year. And many teams in the league can't say that right now. So uh, if you're a Ravens fan, again, uh, they're crossing their fingers, you know, holding on to their lucky rabbit's foot, you know, saying prayers, whatever they're trying to do to keep Lamar healthy because uh, we know what this team is capable of doing if they have a healthy number eight on the football field. Luke, I really liked Zay Flowers coming out of Boston College in the draft process, and I certainly don't think he's disappointed. He's been very good for you guys. Yeah, I mean, Zay Flowers has been as advertised. I, I think they're, the exciting thing for him, I think, is there's still room for him to grow. I think if there's one thing that hasn't been his fault, but maybe if there's been a critique of Todd Munkin and this Ravens offense, this passing game has been, let's try to push the ball downfield to Zay Flowers a little more. I mean, it's great to have these hitches and screens and, and, and passes that are easy completions just beyond the line of scrimmage, but let him stretch the field a little bit. Let him put a little more stress on the back end of the defense. And uh, we've seen the Ravens do that a little bit more here of late. So uh, I think the big question with him, as is the case with any rookie, and I know it's, you know it's a cliche, but the rookie wall is a thing for most guys. And I think where you look, when you look at where the Ravens are right now, how important Zay Flowers is to their passing game, especially with Mark Andrews' sideline, their three-time Pro Bowl tight end. Uh, you just want to keep him healthy, keep him fresh, keep him productive. But he, his speed, his elusiveness, his ability to make people miss, uh, I mean, he's been very good from a yards-after-catch standpoint. And I wouldn't say he's a true number one wide receiver just yet. I think that would be a little premature. But he's certainly looking like someone who's up to the challenge of becoming that. Uh, maybe if it's not this year, uh, by next year and in the years to come, because uh, he already is showing that kind of chemistry with Lamar Jackson. And certainly those two had quite a connection going late against the Rams this past Sunday when the Ravens really needed it. A couple of more for Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, Ravens and Jaguars Sunday night. You'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Odell Beckham Jr. made some huge catches last week for Baltimore as well. Luke, how has he performed this year? I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., the last month, I, I think it's finally been, hey, that's the guy that, okay, he's not the, the 2014 through 2016 New York Giants version 
uh, of Beckham, but looking more like the guy he was in Cleveland before the, the ACL injury and the drama and his subsequent departure from the Browns. Uh, he has been much more explosive over the last month. Uh, he's been making more plays. I think from a locker room standpoint, from an off-field standpoint, he has been everything the Ravens hoped he would be. Now, he's certainly, I mean, he's a huge personality. This guy's a celebrity, you know, he, that, that extends beyond football. Just look at his Instagram number of followers and all that. But he has come in and he's been a good teammate. He has gotten better as the year has gone on. I think the biggest key for him the rest of the way is, you know, like I mentioned just with Zay Flowers, from a rookie standpoint, you are talking about a, an individual who is on the other side of 30, has a long injury history, and you know, the Ravens hope that they still have well, four regular season games to go, and you know, they have designs on playing three or four games in January and maybe early February. So you got to keep Beckham healthy. But, boy, over the last month, after it wasn't a very impressive first half of the season for him, dealing with some injuries and just not looking all that explosive. He's looked very much at least like the Odell Beckham that you saw four or five years ago. Uh, and he has been a, a huge, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a new wrinkle to add to this passing game, as I mentioned, as they're trying to pick up the slack uh, without having Mark Andrews uh, in the lineup. So Beckham has really co- come on over the last month, which two months ago probably wouldn't have been as optimistic talking about what was a one-year $15 million contract for him. Luke, one of the frustrating things for me is the Jaguars in the offseason needed help at pass rush, and they chose not to do anything and and not even bring in a vet, uh, not make a trade at the deadline. It was frustrating because I look at Baltimore, and you added not one but two veterans. You added Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy, two guys we talked an awful lot about here in Jacksonville. You get both of them. And both of them have been worth every penny you spent on them. What have those two guys meant to that Raven defense? I mean, they've meant a lot. And what's interesting about this, for you know, for full the full picture here is Jadavion Clowney didn't sign until about the third week of August. Kyle Van Noy did not join the Ravens uh, until after the regular season had started. So we're not talking about two guys that were signed in March or April or even post draft in May. Uh, this was very much a case of uh, guys that. They had done some homework on. They had both, you know, in both cases, they had spoken to these individuals and they had built a rapport until they ultimately got a deal done. But you know, this was very much a case of two veteran guys coming in, two guys who have fit from a scheme standpoint, two guys that you know, Kyle Van Noy, of course, being a, a former Patriot and winning Super Bowls. I mean, he he has that winning pedigree, and even with Clowney, where obviously his departure from the Browns late last season, you know, that that. That was kind of ugly, right? So I, I even have my questions about that. But he's come in. He's worked hard. He has been a good citizen. He's been a great teammate. Uh, he's worked with some of their younger pass rushers, and they've just both fit. And I think it's really a credit to uh, the coaching staff. It's a credit to the front office and their pro scouts. Uh, and it's a credit to those two individuals to come in. And, I mean, let's face it, Jadavion Clowney, and, and you know, the, the comment was made over the bye week, I mean, this guy was the first overall pick 10 years ago. I mean, only Lamar Jackson's faced more scrutiny in his career than Jadavion Clowney, considering the expectations that he had throughout his career. Uh, and he's come in, and he's fit in. He's been one of the guys, but he's played at a really high level with seven and a half sacks. And, you know, same thing you could say uh, about Kyle Van Noy. Not quite as high profile, but certainly uh, has been other places and done some really uh, impressive things. So uh, it's really been huge for them. 
But I will say this about their pass rush collectively. It is such a collaborative effort from coaching, you know, scouting, as I mentioned, with bringing in some of these veterans to complement some of the other guys they already had. And you have just a roster of defensive talent who is willing to play great team defense, whether you're talking about stunts, different games at the line of scrimmage, doing something to set up a teammate to get a sack. And, uh, you know, they lead the NFL in sacks, but, you know, they don't, they don't have necessarily a, a future Hall of Famer rushing the passer in the way that you think of a Miles Garrett or someone like that. You know, Clowney was thought to be that guy 10 years ago, but he's not that uh, at this point. So uh, it's just really been a collective effort. But those two veteran players coming to the mix have certainly paid major dividends. And, oh, yeah, at a very small cost to the Ravens' salary cap. I'll throw that in there as well. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore, also BaltimorePositive.com. All right, Luke, as far as this game on Sunday night, I'm curious the perspective and the feeling up there. Down here, the Jaguars have lost back-to-back games to Cincinnati and Cleveland. This will be their fourth, quote-unquote, showcase home game this year. They're 0-3. They lost to Kansas City here. They lost to San Francisco here. They lost to Cincinnati here. There's no way I'm picking them to beat Baltimore on Sunday night. In fact, a lot of people here locally are not picking the Jaguars to win. And my question to you is, it looks like it's going to be a desperate Jaguar team, a Jaguar team that has not played well when the spotlight has been on them. Do you believe Baltimore is preparing for a team that has their back against the wall on Sunday and the Jaguars? I mean, I think you have to. I mean, it's late in the season, right? I mean, at this point in time, unless you're playing a team that is more, you know, more compelling in terms of where their draft position is going to be, I mean, you, you know that, you know, that this is the time of year where it's not must win every week, but it's, boy, you better win if you want to have a decent seed. You better win if you want to stay in control uh, of your division. So I think the Ravens, who, one thing I'll say about the Ravens, it is so rare that they come out flat or they come out unprepared to play uh, in the way that, you know, I, I don't know, like Miami this past week against the Titans on, on Monday night football, where obviously that was a late blown lead. The Ravens have had issues with blowing some leads over the last couple of years, including against the Jag- Jaguars last year, but they tend to very much take their opponents seriously. So I, I think they're preparing for the Jaguars to throw everything they have at them because they know how important it is for Jacksonville to uh, hold on to the division lead uh, and for whatever chance they have left at the number one seed. But uh, on the flip side, the Ravens, they have to keep winning as well. And they've got a tough slate of games. I mean, they, they've got the 49ers, Miami, and Pittsburgh then to, to, to close the season after this Sunday night game. So uh, I think both teams are feeling plenty of urgency. But uh, I, I'd be surprised if the Ravens are taking the Jaguars lightly just because that just hasn't been how the Ravens have – typically shown up even games where they've lost it hasn't been a game where they just come out flat from from the get-go and and just kind of sleepwalk through 60 minutes of football it's more so they make mistakes late in the game or something along those lines this could be the first part of a two-part series if the playoffs started today baltimore would be the one jacksonville would be the four meaning if chalk holds in round one Jacksonville would head to Baltimore in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. We'll see. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore. Luke, appreciate the time. Know you're busy this time of year, man. Thank you as always, and we'll see you down here on Sunday. Sounds great. Uh, Enjoy the game. There you go. Luke Jones, WNST Radio in Baltimore. Again, the Ravens come in 10-3 on the year. Now, their schedule is brutal. 
I mean, they still have Jacksonville on Sunday. They have San Francisco. They have Miami, and they close with Pittsburgh. Are you kidding me? Those are their last four. Again, Jags, 49ers, Dolphins, Steelers. So this is a very big game for Baltimore. Obviously a big game for Jacksonville. One of the things to remember, too, we will already know what has transpired in the AFC South. Pittsburgh and Indianapolis go at it tomorrow. Certainly a big game for Indy. On Sunday, Houston and Tennessee are at 1 o'clock. Houston looks like they're going to be without C.J. Stroud, among others. So we will know what Indy did and what Houston did prior to kickoff of the Jaguars and the Ravens. Of course, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL, and we will have a fifth quarter for you. That's right, early Monday morning, Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself, two hours after the Jaguars and the Ravens go final. If you're driving home from the game, if you stick around a little bit after the game to let the traffic die down, tune us in two hours after the Jags and the Ravens, and we will have a fifth quarter for you here on 1010 AM and 92.5 FM. Coming up next, former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. We will look back briefly on Cleveland, but I want to talk Calvin Ridley, and I certainly want to look ahead to Baltimore, a guy that played four years in a Jaguar uniform. We get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. My friend Cecil Shorts, next, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Sinville. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens, Sunday night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Baltimore, an AFC best 10-3 and coming in to play Jacksonville, who now sits at 8-5 and on the year. Let's talk to a man that played seven years in the National Football League, four of those right here in Jacksonville. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts is with us every week here on Hacker After Dark, and we always appreciate Cecil taking time out for us. Cecil, how you doing, man? I'm well, brother. I'm well. How about you? Cecil, we're good. I mean, we were a lot better two weeks ago at 8-3. and three. A couple of losses, hard-fought losses, but losses nonetheless. Uh, your thoughts about last Sunday in Cleveland? Sloppy. Um, probably on both ends, but kind of disappointing when you look at how well the Jaguars have been playing on the road. Um, <clears throat> and they go into that game and you give up, I think, four turnovers. Um, first half was just wasn't – they didn't seem like themselves. You could see, in my opinion, Trevor wasn't himself. Um, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. He is better when he's able to move, when he's able to get out the pocket, when he's able to run freely, um, create, um, and at least have the option. And um, Sunday, you know, he's, he was just limited. He was just limited. He couldn't say hobble, but he was just limited with that ankle. Um, wasn't too comfortable out there. And the Browns' defense is, is solid. Not going not gonna to deny that. Um, but talking about the defensive side, when you let Joe Flacco, who's 48 years old, come off the couch and <laughs> dial you up a little bit <laughs> um, and respect to Joe Flacco. He's, he's a, he's a professional, but um, I was kind of disappointed. I was kind of disappointed. Um, very frustrated watching the game. I just thought it would be a better performance uh, from the Jaguars, especially after a loss and being on the road. I thought they would perform a lot better, um, especially when they have the, the lead in the AFC South and they're playing for something uh, as far as playoff bidding and playoff uh, 
position there right now. You know, Cecil, it's interesting. And look, there's a lot of issues surrounding the team. But if there is silver lining, and you tell me if I'm wrong, like you said, four turnovers, right? David and Joku could have fair caught two touchdowns. I mean, he oh, was wide gosh. open. I mean, the wide Jaguars, open. I mean, yeah, they played horribly on Sunday. Yet, having said that, it was 31 27 with an onside kick with 90 seconds to go. Despite yep. playing horribly, they were in the game. Is there any silver lining there? There is, but it's just it's frustrating. Why does it take like you to the end of the game? Even I guess the silver lining is you were still in the game at the end. But to be a a, a, a contender, to be a solidified AFC contender year in and year out, you want consistency. And every game you won't get it right, but majority of the games you should be able to uh, go out there and play well. And you've been playing well on the road. I was so surprised that. Four turnovers happened on the road. I was surprised that you led Joe Flacco. You led uh, David and Joku wide open. I'm, I'm surprised they did a great job stopping the run on defense. Um, but you still, the last two weeks, have not ran the ball well. And you need to have that to help Trevor Lawrence, especially if he's going to be hobbled. Um, so it, there is a silver lining that they were still in the game. But, but if you're going to be a serious AFC contender, because to me, Cleveland had a lot of guys missing. They had tons of people missing, including their quarterback, including their starting running back, including Denzel Ward, their best corner, and, and a few other people. So I expected you to come in, and, and I know it's going to be hard for It's tough to win in Cleveland but uh, with the weather and everything. But at the same time, if you are a true AFC contender, you find ways to win regardless of what's going on. Uh, so there's a silver lining, but there's just still some frustration there seeing how badly they played on both sides of the ball. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. All right, Cecil, one of the big topics here. Uh, Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley last Sunday were targeted 27 times. They combined for nine catches. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but even I know 66% of the time with those numbers, the ball that came their way was not caught. And Ridley in particular, there looked like two instances where he either stopped playing or did not know what he was doing that resulted in interceptions. Uh, your thoughts on everything surrounding the passing game right now? You know what's interesting? Um, e- e- even on Parker Washington's touchdown, who I think is going to be a good player, um, he didn't run a route. He's decided to complain to the ref, uh, that, that being Calvin Ridley. If you watch the bottom of the screen, I believe the touchdown from Trevor to Parker was on the top of the screen. If you look at the bottom of the screen, you see Calvin just kind of looking arguing with the ref or where the case may be. And he could have, a, it could have been a situation where he didn't have a route, um, but you just, it's just not a good look from a veteran guy who's been around the league a lot. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'll say this, the playbook for, I'm talking from a receiver standpoint, the playbook for receivers in the off season is the hardest because everything is up, especially for a new guy, right? A new guy coming into a new system Everything is up. You're learning all the plays, right? So each day, each week, there's tons of plays being added in. It's like nothing is like dwindled down. It's just everything is up. You're 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 having having to learn formations and, and um, schemes. Learning quick game. You're learning an immediate game. You're learning the deep passing schemes. You're learning different terminology. Um, you're learning all these things. Now. That's the most difficult part about the playbook, especially like I remember coming into Houston after I left Jacksonville. There were so many small details. Like I would come to the line of scrimmage and I'll have three different routes, depending based on the coverage, based on the look, based on 
the audible, right? Like if, if I came to line of scrimmage and we become line of scrimmage sometime with two plays. So based on what – and normally it's like a run play and a pass play. So based on what they give us, we got to know what we're doing. Or if a blitz comes, I have to know what my hot read is, right? But the hardest part about learning an offense is the offseason because everything is up. Once you get into the regular season, everything is not up. They're not calling random plays. They're not just calling something from, you know, they called way back in, in rookie minicamp or, 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 excuse me, veteran minicamp. These plays are scripted. The playbook is a lot smaller. Um, and you know going into the game what exactly are the plays we're going to call. The, call, the plays will call a lot. The plays will call somewhat. And the plays will call a little bit. And I'm saying all that to say this. For Calvin Ridley, and it's not just this week from my understanding. It's multiple weeks over the 14-week season that we've had so far that he has ran the wrong route or not been in the place he's supposed to be at. That tells me he's not either preparing like he should or he can't mentally handle the offense that they're in. So if he's not preparing as he should, that's totally on him because literally the playbook week in and week out during the season is so much more easier to consume, to understand. You know exactly what you have to do and where you're supposed to be. There may be a couple plays in there that you may be confused about, but you're going to practice those because you're going to bring them up. Coach is going to make an emphasis on it. Hey, on this particular play, on this look, you have this route, right? That is, it's that simple. If he's not preparing, that's completely on him as a professional because there's no excuse for 27, I believe he's 28 years old, he's been in the league four, five, six years, whatever it is, to run the wrong route. It's no excuse for that, right? Zero, especially during the weeks, during the regular season. The, the, the playbook is so dwindled down. You know exactly what – I used to know exactly what I had. Like on third down, I knew what was coming. Second down, I knew what was coming. First down, I knew what was coming. Like the possibilities. It, it was no time during the game that I'm like, dang, I don't know this play or I don't know the route. And if I didn't, I would ask the quarterback. I will communicate with the other receivers. So that's, this is what I'm having trouble with. It's either that or he is just not, doesn't have the mental capacity. And I don't want to offend him in no type of way because he's, he's an awesome, awesome receiver, great route runner. It don't matter how good you run routes if you're not running the right route. <laughs> if you're not in the right spot, right? Well, and the interesting or thing he- is right when the first interception happened in the, in the red zone, Trevor pointed to his eyes. Obviously, Trevor thought Calvin was going to do something that he didn't do. And if you go back and you watch it, it's almost as if Ridley ran it too deep and didn't cut in when Trevor thought. Now, again, these guys have not been working with each other, you know, for five years. These guys have been working with each other since, I guess, May when they got out on the field. But you are right. It's 14 weeks in. Do we give Ridley any of the benefit of the doubt that he's still in year one with Trevor or should that it's stuff no have been cleared up by now? It's no excuse. It's no excuse because he's pointing to his eyes saying, hey, like th- that's either a signal saying, hey, you need to look at me because I'm checking you something or, hey, pay attention to the defense, like know what's going on. That's something they worked in where they, they had to work throughout the week with. Right. So that was something that Trevor saw, that Coach Peterson saw, that that Calvin said, that Calvin and them worked on throughout the week. That's why he's touching his eyes because, like, hey, we got to be able to see that. We saw this either blitz or play or we worked on that, and you have not studied or you didn't run the right route. There's no excuse for that. Heck, I'm sorry. It's week 14. 
if you're going to be a true contender, you can't have this happen over and over and over and over again. Like to me, you're a vet. You, you should know how to prepare. You should know how to study. So at this point in time in a season, you can't have mistakes like that. If it's once, okay, cool. If it's, you know, a couple of times, okay, cool. But this has been something that it's been year, year round. Yeah. I mean, not year round, but throughout the year. So this has to be fixed. And that's on Calvin. Calvin got to prepare better. That's just what it is. And if, if the playbook is too much week in and week out, then they, they need to give him a smaller package, which would, you know, help him understand, okay, this is what I exactly have on these particular plays. But if that's the case, then he's not your number one receiver. Then he can't handle it. Because your number one guy has to be able to be able to understand the defense, understand the cause, understand when there's a blitz, my route may change because the, the depth may change because I don't have that much time, right? So for him, I don't know what it is, but they have to figure it out. Now, be honest with you, this tells me, because I believe he's a free agent this offseason, I doubt if I would bring him back if I'm the Jaguars. I would seriously consider going after somebody else or working with the guys I have in-house. Because if I can't trust him to run the right route after 14 weeks in minicamp and training camp and everything else, how can I trust him in the playoffs? How can I trust him next season in the second year of the offense? I'd rather go out and get Mike Evans or Michael Pittman or somebody else and bring them in and school them up when they don't have the same exact issues, right? So for me, I mean, that to me, that is like, do we still want him here next year? If that's really the issue, do we still want him here? Because right now, to me, there's no excuse. It's a great perspective. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts, you would know better than most. Cecil played seven years in the National Football League at the wide receiver position. Zay Jones didn't have a great game either last week. Those guys got to step up uh, in light of Christian Kirk being out. Cecil, quickly, because I want to get to Baltimore. What's been overshadowed in the last two losses is Evan Ingram, man. I mean, Ingram's got 17 catches, I think for 170 yards and three touchdowns in these two losses outside of guys named Travis Kelsey. And I guess maybe George Kittle. I'm not sure if there's a better tight end in the league right now than Evan Ingram. He is hot right now. Caught 11 out of 12 targets. Um, he is the most trustworthy and Christian Kirk too. But with Christian out, he is by far the most trustworthy receiver that you have or pass catcher that you have on this Jacksonville offense. He's probably the most consistent guy you have on offense right now with the run game being out, out of sorts right now. He is somebody that's getting open consistently. He's being in the right place at the right time. His confidence is sky high. I don't see him slowing down at all. He is like a safety blanket for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor trusts him. He's in the right spots at the right times, and he's making plays, making tough catches, making third down catches. He is living up to what he was supposed to be in New York, coming out, coming out of that first-round draft pick, right? He is that guy, and he is solidifying himself right now as one of the top five tight ends in the league. He has to continue. But he has solidified himself as one of the best pass catchers in the league. And that is something when you have him, when you have Kirk, when you have uh, Travis Ntn, you are building something special. Right. Um, so we can get if we can get Calvin going and this offense uh, in other ways going. You you solidified your spot in the middle because this dude is unstoppable right now. And the thing is, now you got to really, really prepare for him. Hey, he got 12 targets last week Week before he had 10 targets Week before that. Like he's getting tons of targets but he's making the most out of his targets and the run after catch he he is just playing at a at extremely high level um i want to say he has the franchise record right now for most catches by a tight end in the season yeah broke his um, own record that he set last record, year right? yeah so if you, if you look at it <laughs> from the previous years like joe brady and Mercedes lewis like 60 something and 50 something so for him 
um, he's ascending, man, and it's exciting to see because he, he's still young and got a lot left in the tank. Final moments with Cecil Shorts. All right, Cecil, they're home on Sunday night football, first time in a long time on Sunday night football. Baltimore rolls in. They got to figure out a way to win a home game, man. They're 2-4 and four here at Everbank Stadium. This will be the fourth, quote, showcase home game this year. Kansas City beat them. San Francisco humiliated them. Cincinnati got them. I mean, good heavens. Uh, they're staring a 2-5 and five home record in the face if they lose on Sunday night. Not protecting home field is a big, big concern. It, it's a big concern, but I think this game, and you mentioned the team that you mentioned, this game would like, let's tell the truth Sunday. Are you a real contender, a Super Bowl contender or not? Like, let, let, let's be honest. San Francisco kicked your behind, Super Bowl contender. Kansas City Chiefs kicked your behind, Super Bowl contender. Like, Baltimore Ravens are a Super Bowl contender. So this game will speak a lot about who Jacksonville is. Will you step up to the plate? Will you step up at home, which you struggle? You mentioned two and five or something like that at home, right? Will you step up to the plate against Baltimore? They're hot right now. They just want an overtime game. Lamar Jackson looks outstanding. Odell Beckham is like a resurgence of him. Zay Flowers, the rookies, making plays everywhere. The defense is one of the top defenses in the league. Clowney's resurgence over there. It's just they are a a contending Super Bowl team. Are you a contending team? This game will say a lot about who you are as a franchise right now. Are you a Super Bowl contender or just a, you know, just a, a one-round team right now? Because right now where I'm leaning towards, like, uh, they'll probably be one round and done. Or, yeah, they win the South this year most likely, but I'm not sure how deep they can go. Um, You know, depends on health, all this stuff. Like, these teams that you're facing and you're getting your butt kicked against are – solidified Super Bowl contenders. They've proven it in, in the AFC Championship or the NFC Championship or even the Super Bowls, right? These teams are legit. So Sunday, that's what I'm looking for. I don't care if they're home, if they're away. I don't care if they're playing uh, in one of the high school stadiums nearby. They need to make sure they show up and show out on Sunday Night Football. This will tell us a lot, Hack, about if they're really Super Bowl contenders. I agree. I couldn't disagree or I couldn't agree with you anymore. You're exactly spot on, in my opinion. Cecil, 90 seconds. You're out in Houston. Not only did Houston lose last week to New York, they got beat up in the process. What's the status of guys like Nico Collins, C.J. Stroud? Where are the Texans coming into this week against Tennessee? They're banged up, brother. They're, they're banged up. Um, C.J.'s in the, in the concussion protocol right now. Um Nico is still questionable. So you lose Nico early last week. Now you're down to your fourth, fifth, and sixth receiver, or third, fourth, and fifth receiver. Didn't have Dalton Schultz last week at all. Guys weren't getting open, no separation. They got their butt kicked. We, we, everybody knows the Jets defense is the real deal, but um, the the Texas defense made Zach Wilson look like the second coming of Aaron Rodgers last week. I was sitting there watching it like, what in the world is going on? Guys running left and right, getting open. He's – Floating to his left, throwing back to the middle for touchdowns. Um, very disappointing performance. Very disappointing. It showed their youth last Sunday. Um, so it's a lot of uh, a lot of guys trying to just. D'Amico's really in the media talking about we have to galvanize the troops and get them get going because this is a big week this week versus I believe Tennessee. Yeah, a hot a Tennessee team game. coming off a of Monday night, right? Yeah, so it's going to be it's important. They want to make the playoffs. They got they got to probably win the last four games. They got Tennessee twice, they got Cleveland, and then they got the Colts. They probably got to at least go 3-1, and 4-0, and hope some other people lose. Um, so we'll see how serious they are if they're playoff contenders or not. But 
they're definitely trying to re- galvanize the troops and, and get them going in the right direction. You get Cecil Shorts every week here on Hacker After Dark. We always have the Cecil Shorts Bowl when the Jaguars take on the Texans. We kind of got another Cecil Shorts Bowl next week, right? You had a cup of coffee in Tampa Bay. It'll be the Jaguars. <laughs> it'll be the Buccaneers next Sunday. Cecil, we'll talk about it next week, my friend. Appreciate your candor. Great stuff. We'll do it again next week, bud. Hey, appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Florida Gators season is well over two weeks now in the books, although things are really heating up. Transfer portal, early signing day, new coaches being brought in on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot to get into. With that, let's head to Gainesville. One of our guys down there is Jacob Rudner, does a terrific job covering the University of Florida for 247sports.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jacob, how you doing? I'm good, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on again. Hey, Jacob, thank you as always. So last week, I'm down at Walt Disney World with my four-year-old, just having a wonderful time, getting away from the madness for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, I see Trevor Etienne enters the transfer portal. And apparently, according to my Gator buddies, the sky was falling at that point. We know they've lost some other really good players to the portal as well, including a couple of guys on the D-line. I mean, was that a nightmare scenario when, when those guys decided to leave the Florida program? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as to call it a nightmare scenario. I think that uh, it's kind of just a byproduct, and this sounds harsh, but it, it, it's just a byproduct of the state of affairs here in Gainesville right now. I think that Florida is in a position as a football program where it has not been able to win football games consistently. You don't need me to tell you that. Billy Napier is 11 and 14 in his tenure as the Gators head coach. Uh, And there are guys who were a part of the program who desire opportunities to go win, or at least, you know, opportunities to have a better chance to go win. And I think that some of the players who we saw enter the transfer portal did so for that reason in pursuit of more on-field success uh, as they get into the later stages or even the final years of their collegiate eligibility. I would also say this. Uh, some of those guys are looking for what they believe are better scheme fits for themselves. Uh, Trevor Etienne wants to go be a starting running back. He didn't really have that opportunity at Florida. There's been no indication that Montrell Johnson is leaving for the NFL draft or the transfer portal, which would have meant that those two guys would have had to have split carries again in 2024. And Trevor Etienne wanted an opportunity to go start. Uh, and an opportunity to go and, and have a better chance at securing some more wins with with whatever team he does end up playing for. And so, you know, is it a is it a bad situation for Florida? Absolutely. You can't afford to lose star players on either side of the ball, especially in such a fragile state of a rebuild. Uh, but you know, running backs are replaceable. I do think that that's a position where Florida will be able to uh, make up some ground this off season through the transfer portal again. Uh, but a tough one, a tough one, no doubt. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com. On the flip side, Graham Mertz announces he is returning to the University of Florida. Graham Mertz was statistically fantastic, right? I mean, 20 touchdowns, only, I believe, three picks. uh, Played very well. No, they didn't win a lot of games. I don't think that was Mertz's fault. I mean, the Arkansas game, the LSU game, the Missouri game, Mertz had him in situations to win or be in all those games. The Gator defense just couldn't stop anybody at that point of the year. 
So, Jacob, I don't know about you, man, but to me, I think it's a very good thing that Mertz is coming back to Gainesville. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think that there is a level of stability that can be provided at a minimum by a guy like Graham Mertz returning. One thing we learned very quickly throughout the 2023 season is that Mertz is a great operator. If nothing else, this is a guy who has a great understanding of Florida's offense. He knows exactly how he fits within the system and how best to be able to get it to roll and move forward and operate. He is uh, very cerebral. This is a guy who works really well with his teammates. And I think most importantly, he's extremely experienced. Mertz will be a sixth-year senior in 2024. Florida, of course, is hoping to land five-star quarterback prospect DJ Lagway. This is an opportunity to kind of have some mentorship go on. Graham Mertz actually spoke to him last week, and he told me, I, I was a byproduct of mentorship at Wisconsin. When I was a younger player, I was able to learn from some of the older guys, and then he himself stepped into a starting role as a redshirt freshman. I'm sure see similar opportunities here between Mertz and Lagway. Uh, I would also say this. I think that Mertz will provide Florida, or at least can provide Florida, uh, with a little bit of a boost amid some turnover. We just talked about losing Trevor Etienne. That's not necessarily the easiest thing in terms of continuity of operation, Florida will have to teach another running back how best to fit into its system. The same can be said at the wideout positions. Ricky Pearsall no longer has eligibility. Caleb Douglas is in the NCAA transfer portal. Florida will need to bring in some new offensive weapons. Having an experienced guy like Mertz will allow that to be an easier transition, and he can kind of help bring those guys along. So this is an important thing for Florida, uh, and, and I am certain that the Gators are excited to have him back. Along those lines, Jacob, you mentioned the transfer portal. Now, it's early, but we are beginning to see some commitments, guys that were in the portal that have already chosen other schools. We have not yet seen anybody choose Florida, and Ben, I think Florida fans are having a little PTSD from a transfer portal perspective because last year we were told the Gators were going to be very active. I think it left a lot to be desired what the Gators were going to do in the portal. Again, this year we've been told they're going to be very active. Again, albeit it's early, but uh, the commitments are beginning to roll in and nothing yet for Florida. What's your message to Gator fans there? Well, I think it's a very fair criticism and observation. I, I think that it is very similar to last year and that we were told and we had heard uh, that Florida was going to be active and aggressive. I think that's the big thing right there, aggressive in the transfer portal. And they weren't really. They landed 10 transfers last year in the winter period, just a handful, I believe, four in the spring period, they didn't host a single spring visitor. Uh, and honestly, in review, really only a handful of the transfers that they brought in in the last class uh, were true hits for the Gators. This year, we're, we're over a week into transfer portal period season. Uh, Florida has now hosted four official visitor transfers, three on the defensive side of the ball, one on the offensive side of the ball. And as you point out, Ryan, none of them have committed. Uh, is that a concern Maybe not yet. As you pointed out, it is early, and so I think that patience uh, is probably still warranted. That being said, though, it is hard to not look back at last year and go, here we go again. This is, this is kind of the same issue that we're realizing. Uh, and Florida will need to work quickly. I look at a program like Arizona State, for example, uh, which really shouldn't even be in the conversation that we're having right now. But they've already landed seven transfer commitments this early into the transfer season. Uh, and, and Florida needs to have the same kind of urgency. And so 
Uh, I will continue to evaluate. That would, I guess, be my message as we get deeper and deeper to really understand what Florida's process has been, uh, as well as the talent it's able to secure. But early returns are hard to deny. The facts are the facts. They have no transfers right now. Uh, the urgency needs to at least be demonstrated uh, to be a little bit higher. And so I, I will have an eye on it. I'm not going to say be concerned yet, but but certainly something to maybe have a yellow flag on at this point. A couple of more for Jacob Rudner of 247sports.com covering the Florida Gators. Jacob, quickly, of the Gators that entered the transfer portal, it's not set in stone that they're all going to leave. I mean, some could have a change of heart. Do you think anybody that's entered the portal could potentially come back? I don't think so. And and if it were to happen, Ryan, I would be pretty surprised by it just because that's not really uh, what occurs in this day and age of college sports. That's more the exception than the rule. Uh, I know that Princely Uman Mielin, after announcing that he was going to transfer, had posted on Twitter in response to a question, Princely, could you possibly return if you know you learn who Florida's next defensive line coach is going to be? And he said yes. Uh, that's puzzling to me for a couple reasons. First, Florida, he wasn't coached last year by Florida's defensive line coach, Sean Spencer. Prince Leumann Mielin was a part of Mike Peterson's outside linebackers group. And so Mike Peterson is still on staff. And the coaching hire shouldn't really have any bearing on what Prince Leumann Mielin was doing at Florida. Uh, and I'm not really sure that a hire is going to impact his decision for that reason. Uh, I, I, I simply just don't think that that's where we're headed. I think the guys who left left for a reason. Uh, they're fielding whatever interest they're fielding at this point. And I'm sure that Florida has kind of thrown them to the back burner at least a little bit uh, in terms of trying to recruit them to come back. They have to start prioritizing guys elsewhere at this point. Along the coaching staff, as you mentioned, Mike Peterson will be back. We know some guys, including Corey Raymond, are not coming back, obviously. And the process has begun with hiring some replacements. And reportedly, a guy from the NFL, Will Harris from the Chargers coaching staff, Jacob appears to be the first hire that Billy Napier is going to make right now. He, he certainly does. Uh, Will Harris is is an experienced guy, has spent the last year in the NFL. Uh, prior to that was the defensive coordinator at Georgia Southern, where I thought his defense was reasonably impressive. Uh, but really, his uh, the most impressive body of work for Harris has come at his time at Washington, uh, where he was able to lead some of the more su successful secondaries in the country. Uh, he coached several NFL talents, highly drafted NFL talents, I should say, with the Huskies. Uh, the Gators are hoping to replicate that. They had a bad year last year with secondary play inconsistent at best. The Gators gave up more chunk plays through the air than almost any FBS team and every SEC team uh, last season. And now they need to try and find somebody who's going to be able to curb that. And they're hoping that Harris is the guy. Uh, Harris is a West Coast figure. A lot of his work has come west of the Mississippi River, and so I think that'll be an interesting challenge for him to take on early on, uh, whether or not he's going to be able to truly ingratiate himself into the recruiting market that is Florida, maybe southern Georgia, uh, will be among his early tasks, and one that I don't think is easy, uh, but it is a good hire, and I do like that the Gators went to the NFL to bring in somebody. Uh, he's a guy who really does understand the X's and O's. He's worked with some of the best talent in the world, uh, and that doesn't hurt you, and so you know, Florida went from a guy who was a world-renowned recruiter in Corey Raymond to somebody who might be a little bit more X's and O's focused. And I don't think that's the worst thing for the Gators after the season they just had. All right, Jacob, early signing period is coming up within the next week or two. We know Florida has already had some 
um, decommitments and have gone elsewhere. Obviously, there was, a, I think, a 48-hour stretch a couple weeks ago where they lost three guys, and you think, well, the sky is falling. It hasn't been as bad as of late, although we know McCray, the five-star from Mainland, has visited Florida State and Auburn. There's a couple of other guys that have been looking around. How much hope is there for Florida fans that they will not have any more decommitments prior to early signing period? Uh, I, you know, frankly, we're going we're gonna to keep it real for the listeners here. Uh, I would be very concerned about whether or not there will be more decommitments prior to signing day. Uh, personally, I'm looking at five-star safety Xavier Filzame. My current expectation, as you and I discussed this on a uh, in, in the morning on Tuesday, is that he is going to decommit from, excuse me, Monday. I can't believe I just said Tuesday. Uh, decommit from the Gators and probably flip to Texas. Texas has been pushing really hard. Steve Sarkeesian had an in-home visit with the Filzame family that apparently went very well. Uh, and I would expect at this moment that he ends up being a Longhorns commit and signee. Do I think that Florida is completely out of the race there? No, not quite yet. I do think that the Gators intend to make an in-home visit this week in Texas. Uh, Florida's new defensive backs coach, Will Harris, is expected to be a part of that group that goes out there for the Gators. Uh, but I still think that it's going to be an uphill battle for them to keep him. And there are other names that I'm keeping an eye on as well. Amaris Williams, the defender, uh, is looking like somebody who could become an Auburn-Florida battle. He's expected to take an official visit to Auburn. Uh, LJ McCray is another person who I believe should be on flip watch with Auburn pushing really hard. Uh, and, and there are some others. You know, I, I will say this. Uh, Florida will have to do its best recruiting work that we've seen in the 2023 class. And I think that that could be surprising for some listeners, seeing as though they had at one point the number three ranked class in the country. And now comes the hard part which is trying to keep the group together. Like I said earlier to you, Florida has not had the necessary success under Billy Napier over the last two years. Jameer Grimsley, uh, an Alabama flip target uh, for the Gators, told us yesterday that coaches get fired after 10 win seasons. And so he himself admitted publicly, I'm concerned about the coaching stability at the University of Florida, considering Billy Napier's won just 11 games over the last two years combined. So there is a direct impact on recruiting. That is something that recruits and their families are watching and considering. And as we get closer to signing day here, these guys are assessing their options for that reason. And so uh, if you're worried about decommitments between now and when Penn hits paper, I would say that's absolutely fair. And there are several guys I think that are worth keeping an eye on at this point. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com. Jacob, as we say goodbye, here's what concerns me. Auburn already flipped Waller from Florida, right? If they flip McCray and if they flip the other guys you're talking about, this isn't Alabama. It's not Georgia. It's not, you know, of that sort. It's a first year going into a second year head coach in Hugh Freeze at Auburn, who is basically the Western Division equivalent of Florida, a team that has not been very good the last couple of years. And if a new coach comes in there and splashes like that and takes two or three commitments away from Billy Napier, that would concern me. Again, this isn't Kirby. This isn't Nick. This is a brand new guy at Auburn, obviously with some you know name value. I get that. But I think that would be a red flag for me if Auburn were able to do that. Well, look, I think it's a red flag no matter who's able to do it. Florida is not in a position right now to be losing recruits. We've had 
conversations with Billy Napier over the course of the last year in which we've talked about how Florida's a young program. They're right in the middle of their process, as Napier likes to say very frequently. Right in the middle of the process means that we have to be nearing the turning point. We have to be getting over the hump at some point soon, seeing as though we are allegedly right in the middle of it. And I think part of being able to get over that hump is talent acquisition. I'll use another Napier quote to, to, to back that up. This is a talent acquisition business. Napier has said that many times before. And if Florida isn't the team acquiring the best talent, it's hard to be the best team on the field. And so uh, is it concerning that Auburn has taken multiple Florida recruits or could take multiple Florida recruits? Of course. And that's something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. To me, it's more concerning in a broad sense in that there are highly ranked prospects who were at one point or still are committed to Florida and are now getting cold feet and feeling the need to look elsewhere and assess their options at a minimum. That is not a sign of confidence in their decision. And that confidence is born from what they believe about the coaching staff and the program. Uh, And so those are all kinds of things that I, I think are knocks on the state of the Florida program. But to be honest with you, they're not terribly surprising either. Again, Florida has not had the success it's needed to have. We've seen some guys like Trevor Etienne, like maybe Chris McClellan, like Prince Leumann Mielin, who were viewed as guys who were in position to be contributors for the Gators next year, who won't be now because they're in the NCAA transfer portal. And they, too, have had some questions about whether or not Florida's heading in the right direction and whether or not it's a place they want to be. And so uh, these are seemingly the thoughts that are going through players' minds at every level, be them high school commits, transfers, guys already on Florida's roster, uh, and that makes it challenging. And so, you know, I, I, I think that there is a world in which this gets turned around. Florida is definitely still in a position to be able to hold on to a lot of the guys that has committed to it. Uh, it's in a position still to be able to have a good transfer class and, and reshape its roster ahead of a daunting 2024 schedule. But I won't lie to you. There are definitely concerns in Gainesville, and there's a lot to keep a close eye on as we get closer to signing day and beyond that. Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, does a terrific job covering the University of Florida. Again, Swamp 247 is where you find Jacob, and we always appreciate him joining us here on 1010XL. Jacob, appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me as always. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens, Sunday night, the first time Sunday night football returns to Jacksonville in, golly, I believe about 15 years or so. It has been a long time since the Jaguars played on Sunday night. They come in at 8-5 and five while Baltimore comes in at 10-3. and three. With all that being said, I welcome in my friend Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jamal, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm probably a lot better than the Jaguars right now. Thanks for having me on, Hacker. Hey, Jamal, always appreciate it. You know what's crazy is two hard-fought games, right? Two games in which the offense scored 58 points. I mean, they're putting points on the board, but man alive, turnovers and certainly the defense has let them down in the last two weeks. Yeah, look, the defense is getting exposed a little bit. Um, injuries are definitely stacking up on this team. The mistakes have been crucial. The The biggest problem for the Jaguars is these are mistakes they've been making all year. They've been making them since week one. They were part of that, that slow start to the season. And all of a sudden they were able to kind of 
put together some wins despite those mistakes. And it was, oh, well, it's early. They'll put those behind them. They'll figure it out. They're winning games. What they, ca- they called it gritty, not pretty. The, the mistakes were still there the whole time, and now it's late in the year. You're going against teams that aren't playing with mistakes, that are good football teams, and now they're making you pay for it. I mean, this is – this is what happens when you don't clean up your own stuff. And I know they always say, like, you can you can learn from winning tape, but you don't learn from nothing like losing tape. The injuries are a problem, you know, certainly. But every team this time of year has injuries, Jamal. I guess what it goes to show you is how lucky the Jaguars were last year. I mean, if you really think back to last year, other than Cam Robinson, they were remarkably healthy at the end of the year and certainly that is not the case here in 2023. Yeah, they lost Robinson and Smoot last year, and that was pretty much the extent of the list. And now this season, I mean, you're losing crucial guys on both sides of the ball, and then on top of that, you've got guys that you need to be contributors who aren't contributing at a high enough level. Look, it's a rough spot. It's a rough spot. They're turning to players that haven't had an opportunity to play and, I mean, some of them are, are taking advantage of that opportunity, maybe earn more reps in the future. And then others, you're just like, okay, clearly they need something else and it ain't there. So the Jaguars got to figure something out. The depth of this team is being tested. I mean, I remember back during training camp, we were all talking about how deep the team is, how deep the team is. The problem was the places where we were talking about them having depth aren't where the injuries are popping up. <laughs> Yeah, there's problems with depth. There's no question about that. Again, Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4 here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jamal, I'm never ultra-positive guy. Goodness knows my social media timeline will tell you that people tend to believe I'm a lot more negative than positive. But but I got to tell you, let's begin with the injuries, all right? Aside from Kirk, and, and he's obviously a huge one. I don't want to downplay that. Uh, hopefully you get him back maybe in the playoffs, although I'm not holding my breath. But aside from him, the interesting thing, Jamal, even though there's only a month to go in the year, most of these guys are going to be coming back, right? I mean, Cam Robinson, Walker Little, Tyson Campbell, Fadakasi, Agnew. I mean, the idea is that these guys are not done for the year. So is it a situation now where it's just about survival until they get their roster replenished? You know, that's tough to say. Because we've seen Tyson Campbell come back from injury twice, and he just hasn't been the Tyson Campbell you expect when you start talking about what kind of player he is or can be. So you kind of have to start questioning just how healthy some of these guys are going to be when they get back. Uh, Foley Fatukasi has been okay at times and then deficient at others. So again, what kind of player are you getting when he steps out on the field? Is it truly an upgrade? Getting Cam Robinson and Walker Little back, that would be huge. Um, I think getting Christian Kirk back in that locker room and on the sideline, even if he's not playing, would be big for this team. Um, I'm not normally like a, you know, a rah-rah guy, but I think Christian Kirk is a, a calming presence, that leadership helps a lot around that team. He's that one of those veteran voices and having him in the ear of a guy like Parker Washington, who I really like would be huge on the sideline during games. The only reason he's away is obviously the surgery and beginning his rehab quickly. Um, so I think getting him back closer to time is going to be big for the team. Look, I, I don't think the sky is falling. 
I know a lot of people are like hitting the panic button, fraud watch, all that other stuff. Like I, I do prefer maybe a glass half full approach. But look, the, the team's eight and five. More than likely, they're going to the playoffs. The sky is not falling. Injuries stacked up. If you get in the postseason show, you got a shot. The Kansas City Chiefs have lost two games in a row. The San Francisco 49ers had lost four games in a row, or not four games, they lost three games in a row early in the season. Look, teams lose games. You hit rough stretches, injuries stack up, stuff happens. The question now is like a boxing match. They punched you in the face. What you going to do now? It's a great point. You look, it's not just the Jaguars. You mentioned the Chiefs. Look at the Eagles and the Lions, too. A lot yeah. of what we thought were good teams have hit rough patches. And here's the thing about the Jaguars. Again, I can't believe I'm being positive guy here, but like you <laughs> said, sky was falling yesterday, at least in the social media world. The offense has scored 58 points in the last two games, and they haven't looked very good. The offense yesterday was awful. They, they turned the ball over four times, and they still scored 27 points on what was considered to be one of the best defenses in the NFL. Right. Look, they were in a football game they had no business being in. So, like, when I see people saying, like, oh, the Jaguars aren't this and they aren't legit and they can't compete, I'm, I'm looking at this game like they should have got beat by 30, Hacker. But somehow they're an onside kick away from having an opportunity to really win, to possibly win the game. They were in the game late. They hung around in a football game they had no business being in. They played so badly. Look, the offense, to some extent, I feel like they they need like that crazy guy, that it guy that helps them get off to a fast fast start because that offense can turn it on when they need to, and they just don't sometimes. They feel like, oh, we're in a game where we only got to score 15 to win. Let's go score 14 and keep everybody on the edge of their seats. And then they're in a game like that one where they need to go out and score points because, oh, we made mistakes and the only way we're going to hang around is if we go score these touchdowns and they go and do it. This all this has been a problem dating back to last season. I want you to think about um, – remember last year when they played the Texans late in the year, Hacker, and they played the Jets and it was bad weather and both of those teams' offenses stank out loud, but everybody was like, oh, the Jaguars are going to run all over them? Yeah. In both games, the offense kind of put it in cruise control and barely did it. Like the Jaguars' defense had to score against the Texans late in the year to really put that one away. The offense goes into cruise control when they don't feel like they got to. It's a good point. I remember that Jets game was like 19-3. to It was really rainy. The offense only scored one offensive touchdown. You're right against Houston. Even Tennessee. The offense really didn't mm -hmm. do much against the Titans in the AFC South Championship game and then obviously turned it on there on Wild Card Weekend against the Chargers. Okay, uh, Calvin Ridley. He was obviously the focus of a lot of conversation. Again, Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4 here with us. Ridley was the uh, conversation piece for a lot of people yesterday, at least in the social media world. Boy, I got to tell you, Jamal, uh, I hate to use the word uh, underwhelming, underperforming, dare I say disappointment, but are we approaching that territory with Calvin Ridley right now? It's an interesting spot with him. Um, look, the, the hard conversation with Ridley, and I know some people are already starting to look ahead to whether or not the Jags should keep him here. I always thought his contract was the hard one to judge anyway. I, Calvin Ridley does a lot of things well, but there are also a few things about his game that maybe are less than ideal, at least from what we've seen so far. There have been some untimely drops. 
He doesn't seem to do as well with some of those <clears throat> choice routes that where you want him to sit down. Those And those miscommunications where Trevor wants him to sit down between the zone has led to incompletions and interceptions this season. That wasn't something that was isolated to the Browns game. Look, Ridley's not perfect right now. Is do, do the Jaguars need him in, in a big way? Yes. I mean, he. I, I, I'm a Zay Jones believer. I think Zay is fantastic for what he does for the offense. In no way am I getting ready to sit here and tell you that Zay Jones or Parker Washington can be a better receiver for this Jags team than Calvin Ridley. Um, if, if we get to the offseason and we want to start talking about Ridley's contract, I'm here for it. Right now, he's what you got. <laughs> and they got to figure it out. They need him and Cal or Trevor Lawrence to go sit down in a in a dark place and figure out how to talk because there's something going on there. There's something bubbling under the surface. Whether this is just a little bit of how Calvin Ridley is, and they have to figure out how to work around maybe that that elite personality. I, I'm not sure, but there are definitely some cracks surfacing in that relationship. And there are some big questions that have to be had moving down and into the future. Look, Christian Kirk does a lot of things well, but there are a lot of things that Calvin Ridley does better than Christian Kirk. Christian does a lot of the little things at an elite level. And some of those things that he does at an elite level, Ridley just doesn't do well. And that's where some of the inconsistencies in this offense come because they want those little things out on the field to make this offense work. Jamal, I want to focus on the future, but quickly, um, what's been overshadowed in the last two games because they lost both of them, Evan Ingram is a top five, maybe a top three tight end in football. The dude has 17 catches for like 170 yards and three touchdowns in the last two games. He's playing out of his mind right now. Uh, so Evan Ingram is doing everything he can out there. Yeah, look, they got a guy. Evan Ingram's a baller. They paid him. Um, and he's showing up for it. He's a leader in the locker room. He make play, makes plays out on the field. It took him a while to finally find the end zone this year, but now he has, and it, maybe they, they need him to step up in a big way down the stretch. Him and Trevor Lawrence are on the same page. Evan is going to be big for this team, not just this year, but into the future. All right, four games to go. Hard to believe we still have a month of the season to go. The NFL is a marathon, man. No question yeah, about that. And if you look at it, all right, Indianapolis lost, Houston lost, Jacksonville lost. It was a wash. Houston might have lost more than a game. They got beat up against the Jets. We have to wait and see about Nico Collins. We got to certainly wait and see about C.J. Stroud. Will Anderson left that game as well. The Houston loss to New York was very similar to the Jacksonville loss to Cincinnati. Not only did you lose the game, but you lost a lot of guys in the process. To me, Jamal, expectations change. Conversations change. Number one seed talk is gone. I didn't really even care about that anyway. I cared about the first round bye, but the team is awful at home. So home field advantage to me doesn't mean very much for the Jaguars. But now it's about the division. You got to win the division, and they're essentially up two games on Indy with four to go if you include tiebreakers. If they beat Tennessee and Nashville, they'll essentially be up two on Houston, including tiebreakers with four to go. Jamal, they're still the overwhelming favorite in that division, which I think needs to be the focus right now. Look, I think with the way the AFC is right now, the goal of every team is just getting the show. The AFC is all over the place. 
There's no, it doesn't really feel like there's an elite team. If there is one, it feels like it's Baltimore. The Jaguars are going to see how they stack up against Baltimore on Sunday night football. The Jags should have an opportunity in the postseason. Unless there's some sort of epic collapse, they're going to win the division. And if they win the division, you get a shot. That is the goal. Again, this team is eight and five. They are the overwhelming favorite to be in the postseason. The last two weeks have been terrible, but there's not a reason to jump off this thing. Once you get in the postseason, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. Some teams figure it out at the right time or you get the right matchups and all of a sudden it works out. Yeah, like you said, 11 teams in the AFC right now are 7-6 and six or better. Four of those teams will not make the postseason which is absolutely crazy to think. Final moments, Jamal St. Seraph, Channel 4. All right, that brings us to Baltimore Sunday night. The Jaguars have been here three times, Jamal, this season. Showcase games at home. They lost to Kansas City. The offense did not score a touchdown. They got absolutely annihilated by San Francisco. And just uh, two short weeks ago, Monday night football, Cincinnati came in here and beat him with Jake Browning. This is now the fourth home game that I would consider to be a showcase national game. Will this one be any different? You'd like to think so. <laughs> but, I mean, there's no guarantees. You know, I, I almost wrote it in pen going into Cincinnati just like everybody else. Like, ah, Jake Browning and the backup quarterback for the Bengals. The, the Jaguars are going to run through them, right? Well, that wasn't the case. Um I think the Jags match up well with what this Baltimore Ravens team does and likes to do, but to some extent injuries have decimated them. So the question is what happens on that offensive line? Because you don't want to have protection issues against the Ravens because they will take advantage of that. So th there's a lot of things that, that are going to be in flux over the course of the week before that game. I, look, you'd like to think they're going to get back on the right foot against a tough team that's, the top in the AFC, and I'm going to tell you right now, if they go out there and take care of business against the Ravens, all the folks that are pressing the panic button are going to be right back on the bandwagon like, oh, look, we knew they were for real. Um, I, it's tough to pick them in that game, though. Just right now, it's really tough to say, ah, you know what, I feel like the Jags are going to go win that game just because of what we've seen the last two weeks and what we've seen from the Ravens so far this year. It's a week-to-week -week league, but I said last night on the fifth quarter, there's absolutely no way I'm picking the Jaguars to win this game. They're going to have to prove no. me wrong. I'm not going to pick them to win a national game at home until they actually do because they've let you down against Kansas City, San Francisco, and Cincinnati, and we'll see what happens when Baltimore rolls in. Jamal, tell us about Teal the Show. Uh, Monday and Friday, you and Frank Frangie there on Channel 4. Yep, we've got Frank Frangie in the building every Monday and Friday night at 11.20 over on Channel 4. Uh, so make sure you come tune in for that. We try and put a get you everything you need to know, and hopefully we'll be having a victory Monday, next Monday, so we can go through some positives rather than trying to figure out what all the problems are. But that's every Monday and Friday night at 11.20 over on Channel 4. Jamal St. Sarah does a great job covering the Jaguars. He's with Channel 4, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jamal, appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Hacker. See you, man. And thank you to Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4 for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. The Jaguars and the Ravens Sunday night. Of course, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL. My big takeaway from the night 
It's what we've been talking about tonight, but really all week. This is a show-me-something Sunday for the Jaguars. This is a prove-it-to-a-Sunday for the Jaguars. This is the fourth time the Jaguars have had what you would consider to be a big home game this year. They are over. They lost to Kansas City. They lost to San Francisco. They lost to Cincinnati on Monday night. They have one more opportunity in a showcase game before the playoffs to do something here at home, take it on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. This is a game they don't necessarily need to win to get to the playoffs, although it would be nice, but I think they do need to win it for us to have any confidence whatsoever that they could make a run in the postseason. If you play your four biggest home games and you lose all four, at that point, I don't know why we should have any confidence to think anything's going to be different in the postseason. But if they go in Sunday night and they take care of business and they beat Baltimore, oh, how the narrative around this team for the last two weeks would drastically, drastically change. Well, that'll just about do it. What has been a very busy Friday night and a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Jamal St. Cyr from Channel 4, always kind enough to join us to talk Jags here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Jacob Rudner, 247sports.com, talking Florida Gators, as there is a lot that has gone on with the University of Florida in the last week or so. And remember, the early signing period is next Wednesday, and we'll see how much of this recruiting class Billy Napier can hold on to here in the final days. Thank you to Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver who's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Always enjoy the conversation with Cecil. And back in hour number one, Luke Jones. He's my guy up in Baltimore, WNST Radio, as we got the Ravens' perspective on this matchup coming up on Sunday evening. Now, we will be back on Hacker After Dark Monday for our regularly scheduled show. I will be with you Monday morning. And when I say Monday morning, I mean very early Monday morning. That's right. Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself, we will have a fifth quarter for you two hours after the Jaguars and the Ravens go final. I certainly hope we're talking about a victory, so hopefully with a win, you'll stay up with us and and have a great fifth quarter. Although if we have a loss, well, we're used to that. We did that after Cincinnati just a couple of weeks ago. But again, the head coach, Dave Campo, the Pro Bowler, Leon Searcy, and myself will be with you on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM two hours after the Jaguars and the Ravens go final for a fifth quarter early, early. Monday morning. Uh, Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday night with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So until the wee hours of Monday morning for the fifth quarter, hopefully the Jaguars can get it done I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. Again, Jacksonville, have an absolutely terrific weekend, and we will talk to you Monday here on your home of the Jacksonville Jaguars, 1010XL and 
105.5 FM. Good night, everybody.